Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about mortgage rates, purchase application data, and how a recession will impact housing. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. Great to have you on. This is 4th of July weekend, which is super exciting to have you talking about America's back recovery model, where we are, everything that, that we're doing. So I think this is the perfect timing to have Logan Motoshami on talking to us about the mortgage market. Yes, uh, of course, a lot of things have happened for us as a country uh, in early 2020, but uh, we came out, you know, uh, the, re- the very brief recession quickly. And of course, the housing market, market let us out there. But then again, the housing market became savagely unhealthy. Uh, mortgage rates stayed low. Uh, the recovery was so strong that we're already pretty much late in an expansion already. And a very <clears throat> dynamic two-year period or two-and-a-half-year period of time for our history uh, that will go in the record books. And I am so happy that we were able to document the whole thing uh, here in Housing Wire. Uh, starting with the America's Back Recovery Model on April 7th, 2020, to where we are today, which is, you know, the fifth recession red flag was recently raised. So we're looking toward the sixth one and seeing how the economic expansion recession goes, because then a lot of my work is just primarily based off of that, because at some point during the recession, we're in expansion mode again, and we keep on doing it over and over Amazing. Well, let's talk about rates first, right? So you followed the 10-year yield is, is what you're looking at for rates. Tell us what is going on there and what we can expect for rates. So the bond market has had a uh, reversal, uh, a noticeable reversal, I think 3.5% on the 10-year yield down to uh, 280 on Friday morning. You know, for me, it's it's always the same kind of story. The long-term downtrend in the 10-year yield runs with Kind of the long-term downtrend in mortgage rates. So the concern I had is, you know, mortgage rates peaking, um, and you know the ten-year yield falling, and rates go back down. And if that stabilizes inventory or even pushes inventory lower, the growth that we had uh, uh, in inventory this year gets kind of stuck. Uh, so we're seeing rates getting priced better. The market is a little bit better than what it was during that hectic period, but if Technically, we're going into recession. The bond market should go down. Uh, and unlike you know the late 1970s and 80s, where oil was so high and the Fed was raising rates and bond yields and mortgage rates went up, much different um, marketplace now. The 10-year yield is under 3%, uh, even though with high oil prices and higher, hotter inflation. So I think that's something to really focus on for the rest of the year. Uh, the economic data is getting weaker. Uh, especially on the manufacturing side. Usually when that happens, bond yields go down. Um, so if rates come back down to below 5%, uh, we have another four handled, does that you know, create a pause in the decline in purchase application data and flattens it out or maybe even increases? We'll see how that works out. But I think that's going to be the main topic going out for the rest of the year. You know, uh, Is there sixth recession red flag raised? Uh, is, you know, does bond yields and mortgage rates go back down? What does that mean for the housing market? Uh, is inventory, the growth that we've seen kind of slow down? 
and soon we'll be in the seasonal factors of inventory as traditionally it fades in the fall and winter. Well, when we think about demand and, and what we're seeing there, let's talk about purchase application data, right? So over the last three weeks, we've had some some different news. And when you look over year to year, what are you looking at with purchase application data? So this is a very fascinating conversation for me because I, I see a divergence in the historical trend of purchase application data. So I've been very uh, curious to see how the second half of 2022 looks like. And I'm, let me kind of explain this. Um, the last three weeks, we've had positive uh, week-to-week data uh, on the application data, and we've been down negative year-over-year, year, uh, four-week moving average, r- roughly around 17%. The purchase application data has actually done better than I thought it would do, considering how high rates have gone and how hot home prices are. And I uh, you know, would show people that I think the rise in arm loans have facilitated that. But one thing that's happened in 2020, we, for the first time in you know, in my memory, we had growth in purchase application data toward the end of the year. That was it makes sense. It's the makeup demand in uh, uh, from the COVID lows. But in 2021, we also had stronger purchase application data toward the end of the year, which never happens. So that one was a little bit confusing to people because the data was negative year over year, all the second half of 2021. But the uh, internals of the data got better. So now we are in the second half. We've already seen a a, a big year-over-year decline. Uh, we're actually below 2008 levels currently today. So I want to see if rates do fall, does it stabilize the purchase application data to where we actually see maybe uh, single-digit declines more common on the year-over-year data? Can it possibly go flat? You know, we're going to run into some really hard comps starting in October. So I don't I don't believe that'll be the case. But uh, I, I'm keeping an eye on the weekly data and the year-over-year data in the second half because I think COVID-19 has really messed up the purchase application data compared to what it's historically is. We've had back-to-back volume increases in the second half. And now, of course, rates are so much higher. Home prices are still running at double-digit growth. It, it should be different now, but that's what I'm keeping my on, eye on because it does look like purchase application data has stabilized in the last three weeks, but I always focus on the year-over-year data, and the year-over-year data is still negative. Uh, new home sales recently came in as a beat. That data line can be very wild. Pending home sales beat estimates. That There's some seasonality in that data line. So it, it'll get more intriguing for me to track housing data in the second half of uh, 2022 if rates start to fall down more noticeably. If rates start to fall down more noticeably, what are we going to do? How is that going to, I mean, how, what does that do to inventory? What does that do to days on market? What does that do to the housing market? My fear is the same fear that if rates make another leg lower, the growth that we had in inventory, which I want to see, slows down. Uh, uh, and uh, we, I want to see us get back to 1.52 to 1.93 million uh, inventory. But I also acknowledge that if rates go back down, it you know, slows that process down. And what I what I don't want to see is a reversal uh, of supply, uh, because again, we all see what's going on here. The the lack of homes on the market is still facilitating home price growth. There's some parts of the U.S. where we see noticeable declines, but they're still showing year over year growth. So uh, a boring and a balanced market, a B and B market is the best housing market out there, and higher rates are doing their thing. So uh, I'm a little bit uh, mindful that if 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 rates do fall again, what 
uh, what does it do with the inventory level? And I don't want to see the growth kind of stop because I believe the most healthiest thing for housing is to get off of these historical lows uh, in inventory. And we all saw what happened with home price growth early in 2022. The reason I went into the savagely unhealthy uh, housing market mode is because we got to such extreme low levels that it, it, it looked ridiculous out there how many people were going into these open houses. So higher rates creates more days on market because it slows the demand. It creates balance. And this is why uh, I'm kind of happy this year. We needed balance. And the only thing that could have done it this year was higher rates. Well, let's talk about recession, your recession red flag model and where we are on that. What do you think, you know, if, if rates fall back down, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean we're not going into recession? What does it mean when you look at the the 10 year yield? Like what is going on? So one of the uh, six red flags that I have is the inverted yield curve. Uh, you know, I went on inverted yield curve watch last uh, November, um, pretty early, but it, it runs traditionally with my line of thinking, especially in the previous expansion. So usually what happens is bond yields fall and rates fall into a recession. So uh, five of the six recession red flags, the last one was the last housing starts data. Usually what happens, the builder confidence starts to really drop. Uh, going into a recession, housing starts, the growth is slowed down, and production comes down. That means the investments that we have uh, in GDP from the real estate side goes away. Uh, so I've already raised that flag. The last one is leading economic uh, index, a uh, set of 10 data lines I could already compute in my head. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start to look weaker and weaker over the next few months. So once the sixth recession red flag is raised, I start to go in a totally different type of conversation, which I never uh, had the chance to like, in the last one because COVID was an exogenistic shock. We just had a very brief recession and past recovery. But one of the things that I think uh, people are starting to talk about, what does how does housing demand look in a recession? And I had this conversation today where I reminded people that technically 20 to 30 million people were unemployed during COVID. A lot of people, a lot of the... Uh, you know, a pushback that I got with the America's Back Recovery Model, and don't worry, housing will be fine, just give it a few months, is that uh, people say, well, how can people buy homes if 20 to 30 million people are unemployed? Well, there's 133 million still working, right? So you really just need kind of 4 million plus mortgage buyers because there's, there's, you know, about 20% cash buyers in the market. So to keep housing demand stable, there it is. Uh, even this year, when we put new and existing home sales together, you're still looking at you know 5.7 to maybe 5.9 million total home sales. That's that's a lot of home sales if you look back in the last uh, uh, seven to eight years. So when a recession happens, you want to really look at where does it target. If it targets the kind of service sector market, those are people that are tied to renter financial profiles. So the exogenistic shock of COVID-19, a lot of people pushed back on me. Uh, when we were talking about 20 or 30 million people uh, unemployed, but the 133 million people that were working, uh, uh, you you just need 4 million mortgage buyers. Roughly, there's about 20% cash buyers to keep the market stable. So out of 133 million, you're not asking too much of the working group to, to keep housing demand firm. This is why I've always stressed that post-1996, it's actually really rare to have home sales under 4 million. So when the next recession comes, look to where the job losses are and see how much demand is is taken away from that. Because I think the confusion is that people think, well, if 4 million people are unemployed, that's 4 million people that aren't going to buy homes. Not necessarily. You can't look at it in that way. 
And I think that was the confusion during 2020. Housing just came right back. And it wasn't because of forbearance. People said, well, people are buying homes because they were on forbearance. No, they're not buying homes at forbearance. You can't get, even get a loan if you're in forbearance. So there was a healthy amount of home buyers uh, uh, in the system. So that is something that we have to start focusing on if when their sixth recession red flag is, what sectors are going to be hit? Uh, does the re- the rental uh, sector of the U.S. economy, uh, people start to lose their jobs there? And I'm already seeing people make this assumption that millions and millions of people are going to get evicted from their homes uh, on the rental side. And that is going to impact the demand curve. That's not necessarily uh, uh, true. It, it, uh, rental inflation has always been sticky because people don't go homeless, right? Uh, they find somewhere else to rent. Uh, so uh, we'll have to in, in, look at the job loss recession in that light about what sectors, because the home buyer typically makes a lot more money than the renter, and how much demand is lost from that. Because traditionally, the uh, rates going lower always helps housing because you have a certain amount of home buyer in there. And I think that's that's a, that'll be a more interesting conversation that we get into once it's more apparent when the recession is happening, because you know, in the 2000 recession, inventory actually went down because rates went down and buyers came in and got housing. Much different uh, backdrop now. We're working from a little bit more of an elevated level in sales, but the demographics are better now. So there's all these new variables into each uh, economic expansion and recession. I also think when it comes to millions of people being evicted, the government is not going to, uh, you know, hand out checks to people in the recession for like like they did in uh, during COVID. But They've already flexed that muscle of like, hey, we're going to extend uh, eviction moratoriums. We're going to do those kind of things. So I, I feel like those tools are so recently used. I would be shocked if millions of people were evicted for any reason because, you know, it's it's just really easy. It's not easy on the landlords. It's not easy on you know, the owners, but it's very easy for the government to be like, hey, you know what, we're just gonna, we're just gonna make this something you're not able to do. Well, you know, you know, the the interesting thing with the renter financial, I think, I think a lot of housing crash bears have given up on the hope of 2008, in terms of millions of people filing for foreclosures. I think after being beat down after 11 years, the 12th year is just a little bit too much uh, for some of them. So they've kind of moved into the multifamily construction. That's where the growth is. Uh, uh, these people are leveraged and housing is going to crash because millions of people are going to be homeless. Be a little bit suspect that the government isn't probably going to allow millions of people to be homeless. Uh, so there'll be some type of response if that is the case. But also just remember, traditionally speaking, recessions aren't as long as they used to be. And then the government actually starts to uh, stimulate the economy in the sense, and depending on how and how wide that recession is, let's be a little bit more careful this time on the massive amount of people selling to get out, or you know, investors not being able to get rent and having to force sell. We we kind of ran through that during COVID. A lot of people thought investors aren't getting real estate investors aren't going to get their rental income, and they're all you know, most people pay their rent. Most people are always working. So understand the scale of the discussion. Always, that majority of every American citizen that wants to work is always working, even in a recession. You know, ninety uh, percent of the people are working. So you have to work with the variables about where in the economy does a job loss happen. 
uh, what is the government doing to helping these people? But the notion of millions of people just going to be homeless and not being able to go rent, I mean, get, be very, very suspect of that. Uh, homeless data is actually has been falling for many years up until recently. And it's, it, it's, not, it's not something people strive to go for. Neither does the government would allow that to happen too. So let's be a little bit more careful this time around because after the forbearance crash bro thing, I don't want to have to make up another thing about the millions of people being homeless thing. Okay. So, <laughs> but, but you're so good at coming up with those phrases, you know, it, they're entertaining. Yeah, but if I, if I'm, if I'm doing my job right, I'm teaching economics and people should learn that, uh, the, the complete chaotic doomsday people of our society are doing it for grifting reasons. I mean, genetically speaking, when you wake up in the morning, if you're a doomsday person, okay, that's internally, that's you. But if you're doing it for marketing purposes, then does that person even actually really believe it? So my job is to inflect some reality into this world. And of course, I understand 2020, the America's back people. Trust me, everybody thought I was crazy back then. Uh, you know, I, I remember saying existing home sales are going to be positive uh, in, in 20 and everybody threw everything they possibly can. Now you're really crazy. All that things, all the, all of those things happen because we add all the variables together, and we can't assume that humanity will allow the worst things to happen. Because we have people who are housing crash addicts, they have to talk about it in that manner. It doesn't mean that Americans or human beings won't fight back, right? And that's that's I guess you know for for every American bearish person, there's someone like me out there. Hence why I've always said all American bears have failed since 1790. The graveyard is long. They'll all be buried in it. Their children will come and put roses on their graves. It's okay. We've done this for, for over two centuries. We'll keep on doing it even more. We want this battle. We want these people to get into an economic fight with us. But again, we, we live with models and rules, and that's the thing for us. We want to talk about economics in relationship to the live variables we're dealing with now because they always change in every economic cycle and expansion. And I already see this uh, notion that you know housing will crash because millions of people will be homeless because they can't pay rent. And because of that, everyone will sell their homes. Nobody can buy homes. Nobody could rent. It starts to get into apocalyptic mode very fast unless somebody comes in and tries to install some reality into it. Well, I love it. We're, we're going to start calling you Captain America, okay? The, on this 4th of July, <laughs> Captain America. So you might, you're not always bullish on the economy, right? Like you, economic you cycle, yeah, economic but cycle. you are bullish on, on the US of A. I know that. Yeah. Economic cycles come and go, right? We have recessionary models, uh, just like we have expansionary models, but uh, you know, five of my six recessionary flags are up. It, 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 it doesn't change. Uh, if, if there is some new variable that changes that, I go with that. But uh, uh, we have shown as a country to come back from recessions, right? We have shown that the bearish American citizens and Russian trolls and Chinese trolls on the internet do not win. And there's a reason. We have solid demographics for a country of our age, and we have King Dollar. Uh, people make money. Most people are working. And most people aren't really crazy, right? I know the internet makes it seem like, but those people are professional grifters. They're going to be like this until they're dead. And we want that. We want these bearish American citizens to keep on talking about doomsday cults because that's who they are, right? But not us as a country. We have shown through the last over 200 years, we come back. And the graveyard is very big for the bearish Americans since 1790. There's a reason for that. We always win. 
I love that. Well, I think that's the perfect place to end this uh, 4th of July podcast. Logan, thanks so much. And we're going to start having you on twice a week on Housing Wire Daily because economic conditions are changing so fast and we really want to get your take as things happen. So we will talk to you again in a few days. Um, Thanks so much for being on. It is great to be here, Sarah. Happy 4th of July, everyone. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.